Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. So, over the last few months, what we've done is we've slowly made our way through the Gospel of John in hopes of answering an important yet controversial question, who is Jesus? And we know what our, our parents think and our professors think, and they may have one perspective, but what John has demonstrated through recording miraculous signs Jesus performed, the bold claims that he made about his identity, John, a very close friend and follower of Jesus, has presented his case that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Son of God, and those who believe in Jesus actually get life with God. That's, the, that's what it's all about. That is, that's what John believes. I'll put my cards on the table, that's what I believe too, if you haven't gotten that picture yet. But the question is, what do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? Whether you're joining us for the first time or whether you've been with us through this whole journey, what do you believe about Jesus? Now, before you answer the question or, or you declare your verdict, I would suggest that you should at least consider the last two chapters in the Gospel of John. Because in these chapters, we see both Jesus' identity validated and it's illustrated what it looks like when Jesus shows up in your life. Because we all need Jesus to show up, do we not? So how does Jesus show up? When he shows up, what does it look like? That's what we're going to discover today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to John chapter 20 and chapter 21. You can also follow along and take notes in our app. Last week, Blake taught how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but the good news is that he didn't stay dead, right? He rose from the dead. That's Easter. That's what we get to talk about today. So picture this. Today we get to talk about Easter, on Saturday, I get to preach about Christmas. This is like a pastor's dream week, right? I got Easter and Christmas all in one week. And I hope that through it, you guys are encouraged in your faith. I really do. I've been praying for both these messages, and I'm excited to see what God has for us. Now, we have got a lot to cover, so what I'm going to do is we're going to jump right in, and I'm going to summarize some portions of it, and then other portions we will uh, read to really illuminate what does it look like when Jesus shows up. So, let me set the stage. Friday, Jesus was crucified. Saturday was the Sabbath, so everyone just laid low. Then, on Sunday, Mary went to the tomb, Mary Magdalene. And she went to the tomb in hopes of finishing the embalming process. But when she got there, the stone covering the entrance was rolled away. So what did she do? She ran back to the disciples. She got Peter and John, and they start to bolt for the tomb as well trying to see for themselves. John tells us, he's sure to note this, verse 4 of chapter 20, both were running, both being John and Peter, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You see, John wants us to know that he beat Peter, like he won the race. Yeah, I, you know, I appreciate that he includes this, because I'm reminded, I've always appreciated John's humility. Said no one ever. He's the guy who went to Jesus and was like, can I sit at your right or your left? 
In, in his gospel, he refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. Now, that's actually probably okay, but why does he point that out? Because he's human, right? And God used a human author to pen his word, and that is just so cool. So they, they get there. What Peter does, John kind of cowards out. Peter just bolts right into the tomb, looks around and realizes, yep, Jesus is not here. So Peter and John actually head back to the disciples. They're perplexed by it all. But they left a little too soon because it was just then when Jesus appeared for the first time after being resurrected. And it goes down this way, starting in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, she, that he had said these things to her. I love how Jesus appeared to Mary. I mean, put yourself in her shoes for just a moment. It had been a long weekend. It had been an emotional weekend. Her teacher, her rabbi, her Lord had just died on a cross. Suddenly, she didn't see it coming. And she goes to the tomb to finish the embalming process, and his body is missing. And with tears streaming down her face, she thinks she hears a gardener, but it was actually Jesus. And he said to her, Mary. Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's like at the sound of her name, she recognized Jesus. It was then, not when she saw him, but when he, she heard his voice call her name, that is when she recognized it was Jesus. And here we see the first thing. When Jesus shows up, Jesus is personal. He's very personal. And oftentimes in life, when we need Jesus to show up, we need him to be personal. When we're in the hospital waiting room, we need his presence and his peace. When we receive that text or that call, we, we need to encounter him when we read his word. We need Jesus to be personal. And when Jesus shows up, he is. Now, maybe you're in a season right now where you, you need Jesus to show up. You need him to show up in a real way. A way like he, he never has before. My prayer for you this week has been a couple of things. It's really been around this idea of, I hope that you encounter Jesus in a personal way today. And it could look like a variety of things. It could be through singing songs of praise. It could be as we open his word and we expound on it like we're doing now. It could be just that when we're gathered together as a church, you receive a much needed hug. I, I, my prayer all week has been that you would experience Jesus in a personal way today. But when it's not a Sunday, I want you to know this. Your community group's in your corner. Like, 
they're a text away. And whether you're in a community group or not, you can request prayer 24-7, 365 through the app. And you better believe we're going to pray for you as a staff. And if there's anything else we can do, we would love to support you in those ways as well. You see, the church is the body of Christ. So church, let's show up like Jesus when people need him most. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus is personal. So how can we show up personally for one another? Because that's what we're called to. We're called to represent Jesus in this way. And when he shows up, he's personal. When Jesus shows up, he's also purposeful. We see this next, now in verse 19 and following. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands in his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Okay, so now it's Sunday night and the disciples are all gathered together confused and afraid. Confused because their teacher was crucified. Some of their own went to the tomb, said that he's not there. Mary claims that he's risen. And they're afraid because, well, their teacher, their leader was crucified and they were, they're nervous that the Jewish leaders are going to do the same to them. And that's when Jesus shows up. And he meets them in their confusion and he meets them in their fear. And he lets them touch his hands where the nails had gone through and his side where the Roman soldier had pierced him to ensure that he was dead. But he was, wasn't dead anymore. He was risen. He rose just like he told them. He rose. He predicted his death. He predicted his resurrection. And then he pulled it all off. Jesus did it. He did it. And more than simply greeting them with peace, he instills purpose in them. He kind of like brings it full circle. You see, the, the text says, verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you think back to John chapter 3, famous passage, John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The father had sent the son to save the world. And now the son was sending his followers to go carry that message. This is just intrinsic to who we are as followers of Jesus. Like we have purpose. And a huge part of that purpose is pointing people to Jesus who connects people with God. That's what this is about. So if you follow Jesus, who are you sharing Jesus with? Does a name come to mind? If a name doesn't, that should be a bit of a gut check. There is no better time than this week to, to invite people to explore Jesus. There are many people who all year long, they'll say, nope, not going to church, don't want anything to do with it. But if you invite them this week, they'll actually say yes. Statistically speaking, more people will actually say yes than no if you invite them to a Christmas Eve service. So who are you inviting? What a, a Hannah and I did on Friday is we did some like uh, bags of caramels and then we put our, you know, little 
Christmas Eve invite in it, and we went around and we invited a bunch of our neighbors to join us on Saturday for our services. Who are you inviting? How is that looking? Because people can't say yes until you ask. But here's the deal with it all. Here's my commitment. I'll say this and then I'll give you the deal. Here's, here's my commitment to you. All right, if you invite, I will preach the gospel as passionately as I possibly can on Saturday. Because that's the story of Christmas. And, and the deal is, I, we don't want them just to say yes to coming to a service. It's fun to celebrate together. That's good. What we really want to pray for is that people say yes to Jesus. They say yes to following him. Because what do we know? We know that whoever follows Jesus finds life. So, when Jesus shows up, he is personal, he is purposeful, and he is pivotal. Thomas wasn't with the disciples that Sunday night when he appeared to the others. So when they say, yeah, Jesus is risen, Thomas had his doubts. And, you know, he's kind of gotten a bad rap in the church over the last 2,000 years for that. But can you really blame the guy? I mean, how often is it that someone predicts their death, predicts their resurrection, and pulls it all off? Hasn't happened in my lifetime. So Thomas has some doubts. That is, until a week later, this happens. Picking up in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, and reach out your hand, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas had his doubts. But when Jesus showed up and Thomas got to experience Jesus firsthand, it changed everything for him. It was so pivotal. He went from doubting to declaring, my Lord, my God. Why? Well, because when Jesus shows up, it's pivotal. I think of my own life. As a kid, I grew up with great Christian parents. Went to a private Christian elementary school, went to Sunday school, Awanas, the whole deal. And then by the time my family moved to Maine and, and I was a middle school student, I didn't see the whole reason for it all. Because when I looked at my life, when I looked at some of my friends' lives who also were doing the church thing, their lives didn't seem a whole lot different. My life didn't seem a whole lot different than people who didn't go to church, people who didn't even claim to follow Jesus. So I was questioning things. When my parents dragged me to this new church in town and I met some new friends, people who had a joy about them, a, a confidence about them that I certainly didn't have. But I wanted, I wanted that to be my story. And I would experience it on Friday nights when we would play Capture the Flag. I'd experience it as we would after service talk about the Bible together, like in this uh, little lobby area. Our church was meeting in a hotel. We'd met in, you know, we would huddle up in this little area and the students would do a little Bible study and I would, I'd see them live it out on Fridays and then I would hear them talk about it on Sundays and I'm thinking, man, they know Jesus in a way I don't. But I want to know him that way. So, some of you know the story, February 6, 2005, I'm in the hotel pool, the Marriott Hotel pool, and I declare, Jesus is Lord. And I get baptized right there in the pool with everyone watching. And I would do it again in a heartbeat because Jesus has changed everything for me. 
Change everything for me. You know, in, in life, it's uh, kind of expected that there's, you know, various things that we juggle. And we can put various things at the center of our life, the hub of our life. It could be a career. It could be family. It could be a, a bunch of different things. And that's also kind of normal. But what I saw in those students and what I've now experienced in my life is that the hub isn't, isn't all these other things. It's, it's actually Jesus. Jesus is the hub. And now everything in life just kind of spins around Jesus. It impacts the way I lead my family. He impacts what I do for work. I would not be doing this if I did not follow Jesus. He, he's changed my life. And I want everyone to know it. So I, uh, I brought this in from the garage yesterday. And Hannah saw it. And she, she looked at me. And she said, what's that for, Dad? And I said, well, it's for... A, an illustration tomorrow as I teach. And she's like, okay. She didn't know what illustration meant. So I'm like, well, I tried to do, I, you know, it's kind of like Jesus should be the center of our life and everything spins around him. And she just looks at me, five-year-old says, but Jesus doesn't spin. <laughs> so let me apologize that this falls short. But you get the idea. Jesus should be the center of our lives. Is he the center of your life? Or is Jesus a spoke? He's like one of the things that you do. When it's convenient, you show up on a Sunday or you pray when you need it. Or is he, is he like the reason you do everything? Is everything in your life orchestrated around him? Now, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to know this. When he shows up, when, 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 when he becomes everything for you, he, he is personal, he is purposeful, and he's pivotal. You, you can't encounter Jesus and leave unchanged. He's in the life-changing business. Now, if you know Jesus, but you've turned your back on Jesus, I want you to especially be encouraged by what happens next in John 21. But before we get there, you got to kind of understand Peter's story a little bit, okay? So three days prior, uh, you know, four, I guess, it was the middle of the night, Peter had this great meal with Jesus. He tells Jesus, hey, I'll, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. In fact, by the time it dawns tomorrow morning, when the rooster crows, you will have actually disowned me three times. Now, some of you know the story. Peter was wrong. Jesus was right. By morning, Peter had disowned Jesus three times. And at this time, Peter was feeling dejected, totally dejected. I mean, he just down and out. But that wasn't, you know, his first experience with Jesus. Uh, three years prior to that, Jesus invited Peter to follow him. But he did it in a really cool way, a very personal way. You see, Peter was a fisherman. And that night, like many nights, Peter had been out fishing, except that night, Peter came back empty-handed in the morning. That is, until Jesus said, hey, drop your net on the other side of the boat. So Peter's like, what the heck? Puts his net on the other side of the boat, catches so many fish that the boat starts to sink. And it was then, when Jesus had Peter's utmost attention, his, his undivided attention, that Jesus said, hey, why don't you come follow me? I'll make you a fisher of men. That was his experience three years ago, Three days from the account we're about to read, Peter had just disowned Jesus three times. And he's at just his lowest of lows. So, 
What does Peter do? Well, as chapter 21 begins, Peter sets back out to, to continue in his old way of life. He decides, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. So he brings some of the crew. He's kind of the leader of the disciples. He brings some of them along, and they're fishing. And just like three years prior, that night, they got nothing. They got nothing. And that is until Jesus called out from shore. Verse 6 and following in John chapter 21, he says, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. He swam that hundred meters to shore faster than ever before. Peter set a PR that day. And when he got there, Jesus was right there on shore. The rest of the guys, they come in with the boat afterwards, and they start to count the fish, one after another after another. 153 fish. Now, friends, just for perspective, that's more fish than Blake, Jace, and Tyler could catch in a night of fishing. 153 fish. They enjoy a, a breakfast on the beach, and then John records a very personal interaction that Jesus had with Peter next. Verse 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Looking at all the, the fish. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Having recently disowned Jesus those three times, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter was hurt by it. Like, given the circumstances, it, it hurt. He felt shame. But Jesus did this not to shame Peter. He did this to restore Peter, to reinstate Peter. Just like three years prior, where Jesus invited Peter to follow him for the first time after a miraculous catch of fish, again, now, Jesus was inviting him, follow me, follow me. Peter had some high highs. I mean, he was there when Jesus was transfigured. He was the one who declared, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He had had some high highs, but right now, Peter was at his lowest low, rock bottom feeling totally dejected. That is, until Jesus comes and did what he had done with Mary and with the disciples and with Thomas. Peter, I mean, excuse me, Jesus did it again. He shows up personally, 
recognizing the, the total, the situation Peter is in, the state, the emotional state he's in. He gives him purpose. Hey, I want you to, to be a fisher of men. I want you to be the shepherd of my church. And when Jesus shows up, he's personal. Oh, excuse me, he's pivotal. He's so pivotal. And, and in reinstating Peter, Peter was then leaving that former life yet again to follow Jesus. And the rest is history. A little over a month later, Peter would preach a message and over 3,000 people decided to believe in Jesus and get baptized that day. You see, Jesus had plans for Peter, but before he could get to the plans, he needed Peter's heart for Peter to be fully surrendered to him. Peter, he, uh, he has this you know, meaningful experience with Jesus, and when he does, he actually looks over his shoulder and he realizes, oh, John's tagging along. So he looks at Jesus and he's like, what are your plans for him? Jesus didn't go there though, because this wasn't about John. This moment was about Peter. Peter, you must follow me, he said. And I can, I can relate to Peter in these moments. It's, it's easy to like, look, oh, what's God doing in their life or their church or, or their thing? And you know, as a pastor, that's kind of my job in a way, but long before he called me to anything professionally, I've been called to him relationally, a relationship with him that changes everything. We, we heard, it, you know, Jesus say to Peter, follow me. He's invited me, follow me, Chris. Is he calling your name? Is he inviting you to follow him? When Jesus calls your name, it is not to shame you. It is to restore you. And maybe he's calling your name for the first time, and you're, you're starting to see Jesus more clearly than ever before. But my guess is, for many in this room, it's maybe not the first time you've heard your name called, but a second or a third time. Because maybe you, you said, I believe in Jesus, you were following him, but for one reason or another, you started to return to your, your former way of life. The bottle, the relationship, those sly business practices. It might have been a, a conscious decision. It could have just been a, a slow slide. But when you look at your life now, you would say, man, I'm not following Jesus as closely as I'd like. I want you to know something. Your present doesn't have to be your future. Because let me remind us one more time why John wrote what he wrote. Jesus did so much more than what John recorded. But John wrote these things, as, verse, as uh, John 20, 31 says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. My question for us is, do you believe? Do you have life with Jesus. It could be this is an opportunity for a fresh start, or it could be a refresh for some. The call to all of us is the same. Follow me. Follow me. It's the invitation of Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. Because when he shows up, he's personal. He meets us right where we are, and he invites us to experience life with God. It's purposeful. He gives us meaning and significance. And by the power of his spirit, 
in us as his followers, we actually get to live a, a very impactful life, not just for, for the days that we have right now on earth, but like for eternity impactful. Because we get to share Jesus with others. We get to show his love when people need it most. And you better believe when Jesus shows up, it's pivotal. Which means that if we follow him, we can't keep turning back to our old way of life. We have to repent. We have to receive his forgiveness. And then by the power of his spirit, walk with him each day, every day. It's a journey. And when he shows up, for the first time, again, each time, it changes everything. So, will you let him meet you right where you are, here in this moment, will you follow him? As we close the message, as we end the message, as we close out the whole series, I want to do something. I want to pray for two groups of people. So I'm going to invite everyone to close their eyes. You can bow your heads. And I'm going to invite each group to raise your hand. And I'm going to pray for you specifically, not personally. Don't worry, I'm not going to like call you out like that. But I do want to pray for you personally. And the first group of people I'd like to pray for is anyone who wants to start following Jesus. Maybe you've heard about him before. Maybe you haven't. But as you're hearing about him today, you're like, I want to start following him. If that's you, I would love to pray for you. Because that's a real big deal. It's a real big deal. So if you would, would you raise your hand so that I know to pray for you? You can just put your hand right up and I will pray for you. Lord, I, I come before you and I pray that today and I pray that on Saturday and I pray that as this message goes out online, I pray that there will be people who respond in saving faith to you because of what you're doing in their heart, the way that Holy Spirit, you revealed Jesus to them. And I ask that we would see many people come to life with Jesus because that's what it's all about. So would you work? Would you move? We trust you. We ask you to move in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Second group of people I'd like to pray for is anyone who, maybe you're, you, fall, you started following Jesus at one point, but the way your life looks now isn't the way you'd like. Maybe there was something you would deem a small thing, something you would deem a big thing. It really doesn't matter. But there's something that's happened or... It's just different than what life you think should look like with Jesus. And it probably is different than life with Jesus should look like. So if that's you and you would like to, to recommit in a, in a way that's like, hey, I just want to, I want to follow Jesus more closely going forward than I have recently. If that's true of you, would you raise your hand? And I'd like to pray for you as well. All right, let me pray. Lord, you are good and we thank you that you restore us that you reinstate us and for those who raise their hand god would you work in their hearts would you by the power of your spirit help them to follow you more closely going forward than they have have as of late and would others see their lives see our lives and would they glorify you father we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.